0: Episode 5. Welcome back, friends, and thank you for tuning in today. This is Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. I am Kirk Van Odeham, your host for the podcast that provides brief, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical answers your questions well we have a couple of really good questions that were submitted by listeners that i'm going to address today and i'm certainly excited and looking forward to doing so before i get to the questions i just want to remind you once again uh, that this program is available in both audio only and video format uh, most of the uh, listeners who have discovered uh, this podcast have been watching it on facebook and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very excited uh, that so many people have been listening and tuning in uh, via that platform. Uh, but I also wanted to just tell you if it's more convenient for you to listen to the audio in a podcast format, it's also available in many different podcast applications. And if you go to the website, kirkvan.com, which is the home of this podcast, uh, you can click on the podcast link and see instructions and links uh, on how you can access uh, the program in in audio only uh, podcast format. So that may be something that interests some of you and may be more convenient for you uh, when you are commuting in your car, or when you're exercising, or the various other ways that people, Listen to podcasts. If you're unfamiliar with podcasting and you haven't tried it before, uh, I highly recommend it because it's just a wonderful way uh, to listen to uh, programs, not only this program, but many others, including many different churches who offer their sermon archives in a podcast format. So check that out if it's something that interests you. Well, let's get right to our first question for today's episode. This question comes from Dina in Muncie, Indiana, and uh, Dina and her husband Chuck are good friends of ours, and they attend uh, our church uh, in Muncie, River of Life, and so she's heard me teach many times, and so this question kind of comes out uh, of some of the teaching uh, that I've done, Uh, and so uh, here's the question that Dina writes. At the risk of sounding like someone who just got saved yesterday rather than someone who grew up in the church, I have a question. Since God is in control, and since it's not His will that any should perish, and since He suffered and bled for our healing, why do we need to pray for someone to be healed or saved? Our prayers don't change His mind. Rather, we should pray, if it be Thy will. And I've heard you say that we can't command something to be done. So why do we pray for God to heal or save someone? Does this sound like a question from someone without faith? I do know that God can do anything. He doesn't need our prayers, right? Am I not thinking right? Straighten me out, thanks. Well, thank you, Dina, for the question, and I certainly appreciate and admire uh, the transparency and candor. Uh, that you asked the question with uh, and I know that this is also as I mentioned a result from uh, hearing some of my teaching and so this is definitely a question that resonates with me uh, because I share the same curiosity and often the same perplexity regarding exactly how and why uh, prayer works and the other related topics that are kind of uh, integrated in with that. So I think we can probably just uh, for the sake of just Getting on the same page here and just being clear, I think we can kind of compress this line of questioning into one uh, overarching topic, and I'll just uh, kind of paraphrase all of what Dina said uh, into one simple question, and that is, does prayer change things? Does prayer change things, or is it just kind of a futile act and God's going to do what he wants anyway? Is kind of how we... uh, Can perceive it, and so and I don't mean to put question or excuse me words into anyone's mouth, but that's kind of what I think about when I when I hear this question asked. So, on one hand, the Bible clearly demonstrates and confirms several important truths, and just to name a few, and and I've I've covered some of these recently in in a a different question, but uh, they're also germane to this, and I'll, I'll be brief in this portion. Uh, On one hand, the Bible clearly demonstrates God's absolute unmitigated sovereignty and that he rules and controls and ordains all things for his glory and for our good. So from this perspective, perspective, God... uh, does as he pleases and doesn't need our help or suggestions. The Bible clearly confirms God's aseity. He is independently self-existing, self-sustaining. Indeed, he is the source and sustainer of all things that exist. So from this perspective, God doesn't require anything outside of himself to sustain goodness, order, or his will. The Bible also clearly demonstrates God's immutability. That is that he is unchanging in his character, in his nature, his power, and so forth. But also with respect to his will and his covenant promises. So from this perspective, no one can change God's mind or change God's will or plan. He cannot be persuaded or certainly not manipulated. His ways are perfect and he has no need to improve his plans or discover a better alternative or anything of that nature. And then finally, and there's other things that we could say that along these same lines, but I think this is enough to make the point. Finally, the Bible testifies of God's omniscience, that he knows everything, absolutely everything. There is nothing he cannot and does not know. And because he is transcendent from this world or from this realm, His knowledge is not limited to the construct of chronological time such as ours is. So from this perspective, no one can inform God of anything. No one can tell him anything. He doesn't already know. He doesn't uh, really benefit from our advice or our feedback or our input on things or the way we feel things should be or the way we would like things. So, uh, you know, these things all... Together, and again with other related topics, uh, you know, kind of paint a broad picture of God's sovereignty for us. And there are so many passages that testify of of these concepts and principles, uh, too many passages uh, to name and not enough time to go through them all. So let me just uh, point to a couple uh, that are sort of representative of, of this line of thinking. For example, in Isaiah 46 and 9 and 10, Uh, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Elsewhere in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 27, Scripture says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out and who shall turn it back." So these things testify of the sovereignty, the aseity, the immutability, and the omniscience of God. And so the obvious question that arises when we consider these truths is why should we pray at all? What good does it do in regards, uh, in relation to God's sovereignty? So that's on one hand, so on the other hand, We know that the Bible repeatedly invites and instructs us to pray. I think we could even say uh, that the Bible commands us to pray. And of course, there's many, many verses of Scripture. uh, But very quickly, I wanted to give you a brief sampling uh, of some of these. Romans 12 and 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Philippians 4 and 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Colossians 4 and 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Or as many of us know from the King James Version, pray continually without ceasing. And just one more to round this out, First Timothy 2 and 1. I urge then first of all that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So we see by these many verses and many others that we don't have the time to get into uh, that the Bible repeatedly invites us, instructs us, even commands us to pray. So the, an- the question then again to expound upon this in relation to God's utter sovereignty, is why does the Bible ask us, command us to pray? What good does it do in light of God's sovereignty? Now, before we attempt to answer that question directly, we should point out, it's important to point out, there are certainly many benefits and reasons for prayer, and many that we can identify by examining scripture. And this is a Bible study that could take quite a long time to try to uncover the many, many different benefits and reasons for prayer that uh, are, are, are provided to us in Scripture. I'm going to just take one passage and briefly just mention a few, uh, but the list could go on and on. Uh, and, the, and the passage I'm going to refer to is the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing, but it certainly gives us a lot of uh, input into why prayer is important for us and the benefits and reasons that we should pray, you know. Um, it, certainly, uh, the the overview of the whole uh, example of prayer in the Lord's Prayer uh, kind of informs us that prayer connects us with God. It grants us the privilege of experiencing Him. Uh, just as food fuels our body, prayer fuels our spirit. So. God created us with emotional and psychological and spiritual needs that can only be met through prayer. So, specifically, some of the uh, reasons and purposes that we're given in the Lord's Prayer is uh, let me just name a few. Prayer conforms us to God's will. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, this is just an example, not to reiterate the exact words, but a pattern of some of the acceptable ways that we can pray. Uh, We realize that that this is akin uh, to Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So our prayer should always be tempered in asking uh, God to perform his will and, and thereby conforming our will to his prayer also humbles us by helping us to recognize our need to rely upon god and trust in him daily and this is seen in the phrase give us this day our daily bread which is some, some, certainly reminiscent of israel and the manna they received in the wilderness uh, they were relying upon god daily Uh, for their physical needs and we rely upon God daily for our physical needs but the bread represents not only physical needs but spiritual needs as well as Jesus said man cannot live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God so the bread that God gives is certainly uh, indicative of our physical need and physical food but also our spiritual food if you will. Prayer also exposes our deficiencies and calls us to be more like Him. When we read, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we realize that if God forgives us, then we should and must learn to forgive others. So not only does prayer conform our will to God's will, but it conforms our character to God's character. Uh, By connecting with Him and experiencing Him, we realize our own shortcomings and deficiencies and calls us to be more like Him. Prayer gives us strength and perseverance to withstand trials and tests of life. And we learn this from the prayer, lead us not into temptation. In other words, we're asking God for strength and perseverance as we live through the trials of this life. And Prayer renews divine preservation and protection. Uh, and we learn this from deliver us in evil." from evil, asking God to protect us uh, uh, from the wickedness of this world. So, and this is just unpacking some of the reasons in one passage of Scripture. As I mentioned, there could we could easily identify many more. But this is enough to make the point uh, that whatever else prayer does, and whatever, however else prayer works, uh, we know God is affecting uh, these changes in us through prayer so well does prayer change things well certainly we know prayer changes us it benefits us it helps us it grows us it matures us and so that's an important aspect of prayer so this is a partial answer as to why we should pray Uh, there are many reasons why we should pray but the issue is really deeper than this as dina pointed out It's one thing to pray to increase our own spiritual development, our own maturity, and what have you, uh, to benefit ourselves. But not only does the Bible instruct us and command us to pray for all the above reasons that we just mentioned, but it clearly indicates that our prayer does have the power to change things. And again, there's several examples that we can cite, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read one verse of Scripture that is is just an excellent representation of this concept. In uh, the epistle that James wrote in chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he, if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults to one another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, again, there's many other verses of scriptures that we could read that share the evidence of this same concept. And, of course, we know this to be true from the many examples of Scripture as well, both Old Testament and New Testament, uh, both those, those examples of faith and the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament and also the apostles and, and, and disciples of the New Testament. as their prayed in faith and their prayed, prayers were responded to by God. But we also know this to be true, Uh, Hopefully we all know this to be true from our own experiences and observations as well. That when we pray, uh, I know I have the testimony and I hope you do as well that God responds to our prayer. So apparently, and obviously I would say, prayer not only changes us, although it does do that, but it can change circumstances and realities that are external to us and specifically in this passage from James refers to the healing and the salvation of others which can be affected by our prayer so again the question that uh, Dina raised so eloquently is how can this be well certainly there is a paradox here that is seemingly self-contradictory premises or propositions that are nevertheless both true. That's what a paradox is. So on one hand, God has absolute sovereignty, aseity, immutability, and omniscience. And on the other hand, prayer, as a voluntary act of the human free will, does, in fact, change things. So there's obviously more to this than meets the eye. There must be a way to reconcile or make sense of these paradoxical premises. Now it does seem that the answer to this question, as we start to you know unpack it and, and think about the implications, the answer to this question as it relates to prayer is dependent upon a larger, more encompassing relation. Uh, uh, excuse me, related topic. So the the question, does prayer change things? I would say the answer lies in how we view or explain or describe God's sovereignty, His rule, His control over the universe, over his creation. More specifically, how do we view or explain or describe human free will? That is, humans as responsible moral agents in light of God's sovereignty. In our case, we'll assume prayer is in fact an act of the free will, which it is, uh, something that we have a choice about. So some people have simply decided to hold these two truths in tension. In other words, uh, they will say that the Bible says both are true. Uh, God's utter sovereignty and man's moral responsibility, the Bible proclaims both. They'll say, I don't understand it completely. I don't, can't wrap my head around it. But I'll just trust God and trust his word and be obedient and pray. And this is certainly not a bad approach. It's not a misinformed approach. Uh, if that's how... Uh, one feels about it. Uh, I don't see any reason why it's necessary to go beyond our understanding any further than that. Now, the curious mind and the inquisitive mind wants perhaps more explanation, is curious about uh, further answers. And uh, that describes me. Obviously, that describes others as well, hence the question. So I'd say it's fun to speculate about. And I think we can come up with some probable explanations, but ultimately I think everyone must admit that this is an area that our finite minds are unable to fully and completely grasp or comprehend. Uh, I think there are just some, we use the term mysteries often, that's ascribed to God, uh, just areas of knowledge that He reserved for Himself uh, that He doesn't give us direct answers to. Now I'll try to answer the question as best I can and my view is that the Bible doesn't give us any direct answers to this question because it's probably too complicated for us to comprehend, but it possibly gives us some hints and clues. So a major problem on this topic seems to be that many people err in one of two extreme directions. Some will overemphasize God's absolute sovereignty to the point that they destroy man's free will or moral responsibility, which leads to a robotic determinism or a fatalism, if you will. Some will overemphasize man's free will to the point that they limit God's sovereignty, which leads to a concept of a changeable or mutable God with incomplete or limited knowledge. It seems to me that extreme forms of Calvinistic or Reformed theology make the former mistake, and proponents of open theism make the latter mistake. Calvinism leads to mankind having a mere illusion of free will and moral responsibility, not actual free will. Open theism leads to a malleable providence or will of God that's subject to the whims and desires of man. Neither of these seem fully compatible uh, with the complete testimony of Scripture. And so it is always unwise and even dangerous to fixate on one aspect of what the Bible affirms at the expense of negating or nullifying other principles that are equally affirmed in Scripture. And that's such an important point to remember when we try, attempt to uh, uh, you know, think about topics such as this or interpret uh, any given verse of Scripture. And that's uh, that's important in other with other topics and other themes of Scripture as well. We should not and must not impose on the text of the Bible outside quote unquote logic that countermands the context and meaning of a passage. I'm certainly not opposed to logic and reasoning for. Uh, to utilize that in our understanding of Scripture. Uh, those are faculties that originated with God and He gave to us. Uh, but we need to be careful about imposing outside logic uh, that's not within the Bible. An, an eisegesis as opposed to an exegesis, as you will. So, when we seek to understand this paradox in the Bible according, uh, we must do it according to its own terms and context interpreting scripture with scripture line upon line, precept upon precept. As an aside, and I I won't go into this in depth because uh, it just really gets outside of the scope of the question here, but I personally see the potential for the theological view of middle knowledge sometimes called Molinism as a method of reconciling this paradox. It is the view that God leverages his middle knowledge or knowledge of counterfactuals to shape the reality of the world he chose to create. but. Again, I have to digress off of that. Perhaps we'll talk about that more at another time. Uh, But if you're interested, check out Middle Knowledge and Molinism as it pertains to this question. So regarding the question of understanding God's sovereignty with the Bible's assertion that prayer has the power to change things, uh, here is an explanation that has been suggested. And I'm going to read a quote here from C.S. Lewis because it, it is very, I think, informative Uh, And inspiring on this topic. Lewis wrote Can we believe that God really modifies his action in response to the suggestions of men? For infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best, and infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. But neither does God need any of those things that are done by finite agents, whether living or inanimate. He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food or give us food without the aid of farmers, bakers, and butchers, or knowledge without the aid of learned men, or convert the heathen without missionaries. Instead, He allows soils and weather and animals and the muscles, minds, and wills of men to cooperate in the execution of His will. God instituted prayer in order to lend to His creatures the dignity of causality, But not only in prayer. Whenever we act at all, he lends us that dignity. It is not really stranger or less strange that my prayer should affect the course of events than for my other actions should do so. That they have not advised or changed God's mind, that is his overall purpose, but that purpose will be realized in different ways according to the actions including prayers of his creatures." So this is a very interesting way to look at it and I think a correct way of looking at it. Uh, we'll paraphrase this in a moment. Uh, elsewhere Lewis writes regarding the inner working of prayer and I don't know that he, he was a Molinist who believed in middle knowledge uh, but this, this, uh, this writing certainly uh, is leaning in that direction uh, in any event. So here's what Lewis writes the event in question has already been decided in the sense that it was decided before all worlds but one of the things taken into account in deciding it and therefore one of the things that really cause it to happen may be this very prayer that we are now offering my free act of prayer contributes to the cosmic shape That contribution is made in eternity or before all worlds, but my consciousness of contributing reaches me at the particular point in the time series. Now that gets a little bit more philosophical and a little bit more complicated, uh, but it does point, uh, it gives us at least a hint or a suggestion on one probable way that we can reconcile God's sovereignty and the voluntary free prayer Uh, that is effectual and uh, causes change, as the Bible describes. And so on this view, if I could just kind of summarize it, God in his transcendent, timeless omniscience and omnipotence enlists us, people of faith. He utilizes our voluntary prayers as a mean to bring about his divine will in the same way he uses us in evangelizing the lost and leading people to the truth of the gospel. Could he do these things without us? Certainly. But he is gracious to allow us this honor, this blessing, uh, this dignity, as C.S. Lewis writes, to contribute to the cosmic shape. So he provides us the privilege and the pleasure of using us for his kingdom and his glory in this way. And I think that this is precisely why the New Testament emphasizes so adamantly that we conform our will to his will when we pray and let me cite just a couple of verses as an example of this in john chapter 15 verse 7 the gospel of john jesus said if ye abide in me and my words abide in you ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done But we like to focus on the latter part of that verse, ask you what it will and it shall be done. But the former part says if, so this is conditional, if you abide in me and my words in you. So uh, I I don't want to get bogged down into a a technical theological description of what these means, but we do need to recognize it's conditional. Uh, Our prayer being answered is is. Uh, contingent upon us abiding in him and his words abiding in us. And to me, that points to our will being conformed to his will. First John, uh, again, the same writer, but this time in the epistle, First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And then finally in, in James, to go back to James, chapter 4, uh, portion of verse 2 and 3, ye have not because ye ask not, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that you can that ye may consume it upon your lust. So in this verse of Scripture, we have... Uh, a, a, an example here of people praying and their prayers not being answered, their prayers not being fulfilled, if you will, because they have asked amiss, or they have asked for things that are not in accordance with God's will. So simply our prayer for our own fleshly desire and our own selfish demands, uh, when not in attune tune in accordance with God's will, certainly won't yield the result that we want. We can't manipulate or triangulate God into doing what we want. But when we have a relationship with Him and when uh, we conform our character to His character and our will to His will to the extent that we uh, possibly can do that, then our prayers are efficacious. Then our prayers begin to change things in the spirit realm. And he has decided in his sovereignty that that is a vehicle and a mechanism that he will use to execute uh, his will and his plan on the stage of history, if you will. So in this view, God's will will ultimately be done, but he takes pleasure in engaging us in the execution of his will his divine providence Uh, but if we neglect the opportunity to cooperate with God in this way to be used in the execution of his will then we do so at our own detriment in other words it's our loss Uh, he can certainly and will certainly find other willing vessels uh, that will submit, obey and cooperate or he could use some other means if he chose to do so as one writer Sam Storm has put it We must never presume God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. So all all these kind of concepts and principles together point to the fact that prayer is simply the way God has chosen to execute his will and his providence uh, in the world that he created. He wouldn't have to do it that way, but he chooses to use us in order to do it. And that's why it's important that when we pray that our will is conformed to him if we want our prayers to be answered so i want to emphasize that this explanation does not i repeat does not in any way involve god merely manipulating us like robots to do his bidding rather he invites us to voluntarily pray and he uses those prayers that conform to his will as a mechanism to accomplish purpose Again, He graciously affords us this dignity and honor. So to summarize this, God has absolute sovereignty, seity, immutability, and omniscience. The Bible also emphatically asserts that God uh, uses prayer to change things. It seems that God has chosen the vehicle of voluntary prayer that corresponds with His will as the means to bring about His divine providence. As one wise preacher said, if your understanding of God's providence leads you to pray less, then you need to rethink your understanding of God's providence. And there, uh, in my view, uh, there are events that would not take place, souls that would not be saved, miracles that would not be performed unless someone prays for them, because that is the way in which God has ordained that he would execute divine will. Prayer is a voluntary free act. Prayer is also our moral duty and responsibility. And lastly, prayer is our tremendous honor and privilege. It is the mechanism, it is the vehicle through which God uses us to bring about His will for His glory, but also for our good. So this was an excellent question I know it's a deep and profound question that we've probably scratched the surface on uh, barely, uh, but I hope that's enough to at least get get those who are interested in this thinking about uh, the direction uh, of Scripture in which we can begin to answer uh, these profound questions. And it provides at least a possible sense in which God may begin to use our prayer to effect real uh, change. Uh, on this stage of history, if you will. So once again, thank you for this wonderful question. Well, that's uh, all the time I have for today. I realize I only answered one question, but it was a deep one. It was a profound one. I have several others lined up that I could answer, but uh, in, in order to make this podcast uh, conform to a certain time restraint, we better cut it off for there for today. Uh, So once again, thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate you listening to Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. So until next time. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance to thee and give thee peace. Farewell for now.